0: My name is Pedram Rajabifard, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. All right, let's start the show. With us today, we have Dr. Alessandro DeMaio, who is currently working with the WHO on projects in public health. In his spare time, he has pioneered several global social movements, which we'll try to get into today. Thank you for joining us today, Sandro.
1: Thanks, guys. Great to be here.
0: Can you tell us a bit about your journey from medical student to working with the WHO now?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So... I started life uh, as a medical student. Well, I started life before being a medical student, but let's start at medical student. I went to Monash and um, I suppose I I was always very passionate about medicine. Ever since growing up, my dad's a GP, um, but besides that, I had a fascination with biology and really enjoyed working with people, really enjoyed um, spending time with people and helping people, I suppose, more broadly. Um, Did a lot of first aid in high school, did a lot of volunteer work with older people, um, and although I'm terrible at sport, cannot catch a ball to save myself, I kind of got out of school sport by doing first aid. Um, so then, medicine seemed a logical choice, um, and you know worked hard in high school, got into medicine at Monash, was very you know very excited uh, and proud to get into Monash. Um, Did a five year degree and loved it. Um, And about halfway through medicine, I thought I was on track to be a country GP, um, you know, a little practice somewhere in rural Australia. Uh, But life had a different plan. Um, I applied to go to Hong Kong for a medical student Congress, the Asian Medical Student Association Congress actually, and got a scholarship. Um, At the time it was like via year, um, the, you know, the, the important year of the clinical, Um, clinical exam so my parents weren't super excited by the idea of me taking time off to go to Hong Kong but the um, you know the idea of experiencing another culture and meeting students from overseas was too strong so went there got really involved um, had an amazing time was speaking probably more than I was meant to be Um, and as a result got invited to join the organizing committee of the Asian Medical Student Association Uh, the following year I became the president ran about seven um, conferences around Asia, um, including just as I was finishing med school, uh, one on HIV AIDS in Malaysia at Monash, Malaysia campus. The same time I did an internship at WHO in my final year of med school, loved the international kind of complex systems-based approach of um, public health. And it really made a lot of sense to me as well, because I was doing the John Flynn scholarship in um, Mount Isa uh, and um, and and saw a lot of um, chronic disease, a lot of diabetes, heart disease, which I also sh- saw when I did um, a couple of weeks in Sri Lanka after the Boxing Day tsunami at the start of 2005 as a as an aid um, sort of an assistant to some aid workers. And what I was finding was everywhere I was going, I was seeing these same diseases: diabetes, heart disease, cancer, um, cancers, chronic lung diseases, mental illness. And these were preventable diseases. And I had kind of thought that they were diseases of, you know, older, richer um, men. And in fact, uh, you know, living in developed countries. And actually what I was seeing was they were diseases around the world and in Australia of the most marginalized, very often the most impoverished and very often uh, actually females. Um, And they're a a huge barrier to social and economic development in many of these communities. So I wanted to learn more um, when I became a doctor at Monash, uh, sorry, at the Alfred uh, Hospital in Melbourne. Um, I started a Master's in Public Health. Not great idea for my work-life balance. We're spending Sundays and evenings doing um, MPH subjects and, um, and, and darting back and forth between lectures and the wards. But really loved the, the course and it set me off on this interest in public health. Had a chance encounter with a few really strong and amazing mentors who took me under their wings, uh, and suddenly I found myself in um, in Copenhagen doing a PhD in public health. Over three years, I spent a lot of time in Mongolia, which is where my fieldwork was. Um, had some great times dancing to Boney M in a yurt in the demilitarized zone between Russia and Mongolia with a bunch of um, fantastic uh, and very, very hardworking public health staff um, after many rounds of... Um, uh, vodka uh, purely for cultural reasons of course um, and, and, and had an amazing experience building, implementing, analysing and then publishing this national survey on NCDs as part of my PhD that led to some spare time at the end of my PhD so um, the, the boredom and also the, the kind of monotony that is a PhD if you've done one you know what I mean particularly the last year led me then to start NCD Free the first social movement that I founded um, we built that up over a couple of years with a big group. Uh, the idea was to link is to link um, global health and, commu- and design communication people uh, through short film, local events, um, and social media, and really put NCDs and Global health on the map of millennials um, and link them with poverty and urgency. So NCD Free grew to be a global you know, global platform. We launched um, at uh, in Melbourne and at Harvard when I, where I was then moving to my next um, posted, posting, which was a two year postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard University um, between the medical school and the public health school. We continued to grow NCD Free. Um, then I had a chance encounter with a wonderful uh, friend of mine from Norway who was launching her own social uh, social startup, um, helped her to to launch the EAT initiative. Um, and then finally in 2015, we launched Festival 21, which was the, the third of the social startups in my journey so far in global health. Uh, and that was really about a, a big public celebration and a big public festival at the convention center. We had 5,000 people turn up uh, on a Friday to talk about climate change, uh, obesity, and uh, social connectedness, but through a festival focused on food. And since November 2015, as you said, I've now worked at the World Health Organization Global Headquarters in Geneva, uh, where I'm a medical officer in nutrition and non-communicable conditions. Uh, So I work with member states and I work with um, other UN agencies. And one of the projects I've been very heavily involved in is um, the uh, proclamation and then now the implementation of the United Nations Decade of Action on Nutrition, which was declared in 2016 and will run until 2025.
0: What a history. Okay, so w- with your job with the WHO, is that a job that they advertised and you applied for, or was that something that I guess you knew people, then you you, people kind of talked and said you'd be good for this kind of role? No, um,
1: Pedro, it was actually a role that I applied for online, uh, and seven months later, I got an interview. Um, I did a, an exam, two, in fact, two rounds of examinations, including a, an essay, uh, and then an interview with the staff um, there at WHO. And then finally was appointed the position about eight or nine months after applying. So it's a long process. I think yeah. there were um, well over 500 people that applied globally.
0: And um, I was very lucky to then finally be offered the, the role. Mm -hmm. now you mentioned that you kind of considered being a rural GP in the early days what was the tipping point that made you say no to rural GP and for you to follow your I guess your dreams to be a public health um, doctor yeah that's a great question I mean I don't think there
1: was one tipping point I think it was the realization that there were there were these uh, you know the, the leading causes of death in Australia are largely preventable. That is, they're delayable at least. You know, you don't need to die as young as, you, as people do and you don't have to suffer for as long. Um, that, st- that seemed very, very strange and unfair to me. Um, it was a powerful incentive to kind of go and find out more about what I could be doing with my skills. Um, I miss medicine, I loved being a clinician and there were days where I wish maybe I had stayed as a clinician, but overall I'm very happy with um, the path that I'm on. And um, I think I ask myself sort of, you know, everyone has different reasons for getting up each day and everyone has different reasons for doing the jobs that they do. Some people it's money, some people it's uh, power, Um, you know, prestige. For me, quite honestly, what gets me excited is thinking about um, the positive impact that I'm able to make through my role. So when the opportunity came up to go to WHO um, and to leave you know, some really exciting projects to join um, the team at a UN agency, I thought to myself, can I make more impact there than I am able to make at the moment? And the answer was clearly yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, what drove me ultimately to accept the role. What is it about traditional medicine that you miss? I miss the, the contact with patients for sure. Um, I miss the um, immediacy of the impact that you have, you know, what, what we're working on. If, if I'm successful in my job, um, nothing will happen. You know, uh, if, if you're successful in your job, a lot will happen and people will feel um, a lot better and you'll make lives a lot better. So, you know, I'm trying to prevent something from happening. So best case scenario is it doesn't happen. Uh, and it doesn't happen in 20 years time. Um, you know, and, and and I think also just the bedside. I love talking to people. I love um, being around people. And let's be honest. I mean, being a doctor is an incredible honor and privilege to be able to help people at their most vulnerable hour and to support them through difficult times and, um, you know, help them feel better or even more so if you're helping them with the final stages of life. I mean, that's, that's an incredible privilege that, um, you know, I, didn't, I never took lightly and I really uh, valued. And so I miss that, you know, um, but
0: I enjoy what I do. So, yeah. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the med collab. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show.
2: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do at WHO um, and what your typical day involves?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Connie. Um, So typical day at WHO, what does it look like? Well, it's usually around 8.30 in the morning till mm-hmm. about 7.30 at night. Um, and it can range from a, you know, a, a whole lot of different things. So I spend a lot of time traveling, being out in, in, in the countries that we work with, in the regions that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm at, at headquarters, you know, I'll, I might have a number of different meetings throughout the day with different countries, with other units at WHO, uh very often we'll have calls with different experts around the world that are working on work that I've asked them to you know commission them to work on, find mm. out where are they at with that work, How can I support them to finish um, in a you know in a, in a time frame that suits our um, timeframes. Um, I might you know be uh, trying to work out, how we might have a call, for example, with um, you know large NGO community on an upcoming event, uh, and find out about how we how we can support them and they can support us in moving a certain um, policy agenda forward. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a you know it's a mixture of um, interacting with my colleagues at WHO, the other technical staff at WHO with member states, that is the 194 country members of the UN system and mm. the, health, the health ministers that represent them at WHO. Um, it might be writing technical information for the public or for um, policymakers. It might be reviewing reports that we're finalising. It might be commissioning science um, that is missing, mm. or it might be commissioning science that summarises you know what science is there. Ultimately, our role is uh, a technical role, yeah. and it's to support countries to improve the health of their populations.
2: Sure, um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job?
1: Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I there are almost too many to, it sounds a bit cliche, but there are almost too many to kind of um, tally up. I'm very lucky I get to work on some big global projects as i I mentioned one of the big projects i've been working on is the united nations decade of action on nutrition so this is you know presidents and prime ministers through the secretary general of the united nations Um, and to be able to help to build the work program for that 10-year decade is has been an enormous opportunity and privilege Um, and it's really great to go home at the end of the day and think you know Something that I put forward, or something that we worked in, uh, worked on as a team, is now going to be the narrative for a ten-year period of a mm. major UN initiative. Um, I also love hanging out with you know the other younger people at WHO. There are yep. lots of people who are on, shall we say, the other side of fifty. Um, so it's nice to really hang out with some some really cool people yep. um, on our side of fifty, my side of fifty. <laughs> your side of 50. Um, I think probably something else I really enjoy is um, I have, you know, a number of awesome interns who come through WHO as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, very often there's a slight bias towards them being Australian, um, but um, I've, you know, had a lot of fun with those interns and, and I enjoy mentoring um, them as well as working with them on projects that they find fulfilling and that are helpful for us. Um, and And that's been a highlight of the experience so far too.
2: Um, on the other hand what aspect of your job would you say you struggle the most with
1: that's a great question as well um i i think in terms of uh, you know when you're thinking about jobs and um, platforms to create impact so i said before you know what i think about with my work the main the main driving factor is how do i create as much positive impact in the world as i can in the 85, hopefully 105, but let's say, years that I'm going to live on the planet. Um, that was the reason I took the job at WHO. But there are limitations that come with working at an organisation that is so big mm-hmm. and has such a long history and is so well respected. Um, and I think probably the biggest disadvantage that comes with that is that unlike when I was working with NCT Free or at Harvard as a postdoc and complete free agent, Mm -hmm. um, I'm now speaking on behalf of the WHO when I I attend events. And um, with that comes, you know, you have to be much more cautious about what you say. And I have Mm -hmm. to be much more careful about what I say and who I say it to. And also, Things move more slowly. So, you know, things that would have maybe taken a couple of months when it was just me putting my name to it, they might take a few more months because WHO's name is now on it. And at times that can be very frustrating for someone as young and passionate and thirsty for change Mm. as me. But that's also a nice, you know, take home experience of working there. And maybe a bit more patience isn't a bad thing.
2: Sure. Um, Where do you see global health going towards in the next sort of five to ten years?
1: I think there are some really exciting areas emerging so um, first of all food has become you know a central Mm -hmm. theme of the global health narrative over the last couple of years. Food systems you know we're looking at climate change and we're looking at obesity or or at least malnutrition in all its forms. Mm You know if we look at climate change 30 percent of around 30 percent of global greenhouse gases come from our food systems um, and if food waste alone was a country it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases on the planet mm. if you then look at uh, malnutrition we have two billion people on the planet who are overweight or obese yeah we have about the same number who are deficient in micronutrients you know vitamins and minerals and we have about 800 million who still go to bed hungry Mm. now it's not to say that food can simply solve all of that but changes in our food system could go a long way to solving both of those big big problems and people are realizing that if we unlock if we can find ways of unlocking uh and improving nutrition Mm. it's not about making more food it's actually about being smarter with the food that we make and how we distribute that food uh so food food is you know Food is being seen more and more as an enormous opportunity by the global community. Yeah. I think the second big area, and there are lots of them, but I'll just mention two. The second big area is around cities and um, the the city level mm-hmm. as a, a platform for uh, intervening. You know, you, you're seeing the C40 network. You're seeing a number of big initiatives being launched um, that are looking specifically at how do we use uh, the city. Level That is, it's kind of a big enough group of people, with 10, 20 million people at times in the mega cities around the world. So it's a large group of people all living together that mm-hmm. you can influence in one go. But at the same time, it's small enough that it's not a whole country. And therefore, there are, you know, it's slightly easier to do certain things. So cities and urban, urban systems are being seen as an enormous platform for um, global health at the moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. For a student or like a junior doctor who's interested in global health, how would you suggest they, you know, sort of get started in pursuing their passion or getting their foot in the door?
1: I think there are many ways. Um, First of all, even if you're not interested in global health, Mm. being a doctor who understands the importance of um, the social determinants of health, understands that, you know, not everyone has the same privilege that we have. Mm. And that's not because of you know, poor choice, but very often the the same cards that we've been dealt have not been dealt to others. Yeah. So understanding that, you know, obesity is not the result of laziness. It's actually the result of social inequality and of social determinants, the opportunities that are afforded to us uh, and in turn, you know, um, afforded to us across the life course. So I think understanding those concepts mm-hmm. and, um, and integrating those into our practice that's already a great step forward. Understanding, you know, the links between climate change and health, and that climate change is not actually a political issue. What we do about it might be, but climate change itself is not a political issue, um, and that doctors should be, you know, the the, the loudest um, proponents of climate action. Um, I think if you're interested then in doing more than that, there are lots of great organizations around Melbourne that, have, that are already underway. You don't need to start something. Um, you know, certainly the organizations that I've been involved in in establishing, NCD Free and Festival 21, they're always looking for great volunteers. But there are lots of other amazing platforms around Melbourne um, from med school organizations, um, you know, even uh, using your skills once you're a doctor in organizations that really can can use those medical skills is a great way of, of being part of the public health and international health um, agenda. There are lots of ways of integrating then international health. If you, you know, we're kind of moving more and more into towards being full-time global health, international health, but next on the agenda might be, you know, I have lots of friends who combine, um, combine uh, nutrition global nutrition policy with um with uh training in physician you know physician training or emergency training with working one month uh, six months every two years for msf um, working or doing a fellowship in a low or middle income country Mm -hmm. for one or two years as part of your training if you're interested in infectious diseases in particular that could be a great way of getting some you know some really good exposure and understanding um so, you know, and then finally, there's obviously roles where you can work full time in public health here in Australia, internationally, globally. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, across the whole spectrum, there are lots of options for doctors to be involved, to dip the toe or to like dive right in. Yeah. Um, but there's no right or wrong approach. I think they're all great options for, for clinicians to use their skills and their standing in society and their
0: knowledge um, to further the health of populations. Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. I've got a two-part question for you. One, uh, how is your work-life balance? Can you comment on it? And two, outside of global and public health, what are your interests, non-medical, and how do you fit them in? Okay, that's a good question. My work-life
1: balance, I would probably say is fairly unbalanced. Um, I work fair, I work a lot. Having said that, I was once kind of ashamed of that, and I'm not anymore. Um, I think that, life comes in stages and i think that from you know 25 to 35 if you're onto something good and people are giving you opportunities that is not the time to be saying you know what i i want to you know and maybe you maybe you do maybe you can that's fine but if you want to make a big impact in the world it's not the time to be saying oh no sorry you know i want my saturdays and sundays to watch netflix or to um you know, whatever, whatever, whatever people do. No, just kidding. Um, So, so I think this period, you know, I don't have kids. Um, I don't, I, I would like to have kids um, in the next 10 years. And when I have kids, I'm going to be expecting you guys, you two to take over the hard work that I'm currently doing at the global level, um, which takes a lot of my time at the moment because I have the energy, I have the youth and I don't have kids that I'm leaving at home or, you know, that I will want to spend time with. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of this is the period to be working really hard and to be okay with not having a lot of work-life balance. That doesn't mean that I'm not healthy. I mean, I still eat very well, I try and get exercise, I go to yoga, you know, I try to still have time off and, and um, do things that I enjoy. But I wouldn't say that I have a lot of balance in my life. It's definitely not a 50-50 work week. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I enjoy? i I mean lots of things i live in switzerland i live in the center of europe so um, you know last week i was in the bourgogne uh, wine region with um, another couple my girlfriend and i we all went off for a weekend um, and explored the wine region there we're off to paris in a couple of weeks rome after that copenhagen after that stockholm after that i mean most of that is for work but we also combine it with a weekend away so i love to travel um, I'm obsessed with food I love cooking uh, so I cook a lot and I find that a very relaxing way to enjoy you know in, in a way what I do during the day as well um, and that's probably about that might be about it i enjoy time with my family you know my parents and my i've
0: got two cute nieces was Um, it difficult to make the move to another country to live in another country when your family's here
1: yeah it, it was and again that's where i think life comes in stages so i'm happy to live overseas at the moment knowing that when i have kids i probably want them to be near my parents um and i'm very lucky that my girlfriend is australian so that will make that easier but um moving overseas, leaving medicine, taking that chance when I'd kind of thought I was on this path. It's a very safe path to be on. Um, And that was a very scary move. The first move going to Copenhagen in 2010 was um, very scary. The next one to Boston wasn't so hard. The next one to Oslo wasn't hard.
0: And the next one to Geneva was a lot of fun. But definitely the first move overseas was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll finish up with some uh, rapid fire questions. So, what's your proudest achievement? I think probably working at WHO. It was was always my life
1: goal to get a job, you know, to end up working at the United Nations. Um, what's your new life goal? Maybe politics one day? Try and. The next Justin Trudeau? I uh, don't think so. I cannot plank on a table to say myself. <laughs> <laughs> what is success to you? I think success is having a, you know, a a massive positive impact on the world and on the people around you, Um, having great family and having great friends um, and using the opportunities that you've been given and the, um,
0: you know, not just the skills, but also the opportunities um, to make all of those things possible. What is the best investment you've made, time, money or otherwise? I think the best investment i've made is
1: time and risk and that was choosing to leave the path of medicine the very safe path of medicine and choose a slightly different
0: path um, that's been hugely rewarding what would you have wanted to have known before getting into public health about public health
1: probably that uh, when you combine something that you're very passionate about, and that makes a difference in the world, it's very hard to find a weekend or to slow down. Life just seems to get busier and busier. Um, and
0: that's something that I continue to, you know, have to manage. Take us back to 2009, I think it was, when you were an intern at the Alfred. What would you have wanted uh, to have known? What advice would you give to yourself in 2009? Wow, that's
1: tough. Um, Probably, you know, don't be afraid of... um, Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the same thing again. Don't be afraid of taking that 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 other path
0: um i think you mentioned something before we started this interview which was yeah. there's, that there's more than one way to get to the yeah. end goal and really yeah. that really resonated with me
1: okay yeah so it's a concept called equifinality and i think that's helpful because we often get caught up in thinking you know the next decision is the only one that matters and if i don't make the right decision if i don't take you know this job or that job if i don't end up at the alfred in my intern year that one we hear a lot um if i don't get onto the training program first go my life will be ruined i've seen it time and time and time again and in fact particularly intern places all of my friends who didn't get you know not because they weren't bright they were extremely bright but for whatever reason they didn't get the intern position that they wanted they ended up in a different hospital they're all finishing or have finished their specialization in exactly what they wanted to do now, 10 years later. Um, You know, whether it's going and working overseas now or later, whether it's taking a year off and traveling around the world, um, I've seen in my friends and I've seen in my colleagues, everyone ends up, you know, the vast majority of people end up doing what they want to do, um, particularly in medicine. Um, And so I think, you know, don't be afraid of, of taking that, that next step and giving different things a go. Um, medicine is actually a very re- uh, rewarding, but also
0: uh, forgiving pathway. Thank you so much for your time, Sandro really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule this week. Uh, you're going back to um, your hometown now, your hometown next week. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. I'm just finishing the world Congress um, and
1: I, um, should we just finish, join and ask that last question? Oh, I'll just start again, shall I? And yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I've got—I'm in Melbourne for the World Congress of Public Health, and that'll finish up next week. I've got a, an, another exciting project with ABC TV, which you'll see, I'm sure, more of as May comes around. Um, and then I'm heading back to Geneva, back home, on
0: uh, middle of April. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. All right, guys. See you next week.